2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 6. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit that which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even as I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, his faithfulness to you, his devotion to you as a model for us to press on to. Help us, Lord, to uh, be servants that are loyal to one king, one master. And Father, may we see the danger of our day as the danger has not changed since you have spoke time into being. Help us, my King, to understand in Christ's precious name. Amen. We're looking at these first six verses in chapter 11. I call it spiritual loyalty or servant's loyalty. And it's, it's, it's a good text. But if you've ever studied the Bible, there occasionally comes a time when... Uh, <laughs> You get off on a rabbit's trail. Normally, you spend, and, and for me, normally I'll spend one or two days wandering aimlessly through the bushes. They, they, there's a reason they call it hunting and not finding. But anyway, so uh, you, you normally then you get back on and you continue on. I have been in this text, this section, for a few months and there's a rabbit that kept jumping up and I kept pursuing it. And I have decided that if it's going to keep bugging me like that, then I'm going to deal with it. Okay. When I think about spiritual warfare, if you go ask a hundred Christians what spiritual warfare is, you're going to get a hundred answers. Uh, odds are most of them will be wrong. Okay. In chapter 10, I showed you what spiritual warfare is. It is speculations and lofty ideas raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. That is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is for the mind. Okay. I know that Hollywood thinks that you're out arm wrestling demons and casting out boogeymen and all of this other stuff. But the truth of the matter is, there's no biblical precedence to that. Okay, so when you think about spiritual warfare, one of the things that I've learned is, and this section here deals with it, is the servant's loyalty. Because the adversary wants you to be disloyal. Okay, Paul was very concerned about the loyalty of this church. And so he wanted to reiterate to their minds the loyalty to God, the loyalty to Christ, the loyalty to the gospel, and the loyalty to the truth. And we've been working our way through this. I see the apostle's heart. I see a pastor's passion in this concern. There are too many in church leadership today who do not have this concern of the loyalty of the saints that they have oversight on their loyalty to God, their loyalty to Christ, their loyalty to the gospel, their loyalty to truth. Spiritual devotion. We looked at this last week, that there is a large theme on the pages of Scripture throughout all of the lives of God's redeemed, whether Old Testament or New Testament. Of their loyalty to the Lord. The first law ever given was. You will have no other gods besides me. That's loyalty. And yet I look at it today. 2,000 years after the birth of the church. And I believe it is as urgent as ever. Shepherds around the world for all time. 
have been calling the people to be faithful to Christ, be faithful to God, be faithful to the gospel, be faithful to the truth. And if you don't think it's a problem, then how do you take the precious saints in Rome? And the start of that letter is, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What are we doing today? Is there loyalty to the gospel? Is there loyalty to truth? You know, I, I had a, a long time, it's been a couple of years ago, I was sitting with a guy named Phil Johnson. The guy's got too many brains. And, and, and I like to get around them kind of guys because it makes me feel like I'm really smart because I think I understood what he just said. <laughs> but I'm not brave enough to say, what? No. And we were talking about postmodernism. Okay, um, one of the only classes I ever attended in college was uh, philosophy. <laughs> I loved college. I just didn't know why we had to go to class. Um, but uh, postmodernism says there is no absolute truth. And I always found that fascinating. Okay, jump out a window and tell me there's no absolute gravity. Although I did hear today or this week that climate change is causing gravity to weaken. And you're like, hallelujah, it's going to be good here in a minute. (laughs) As we all go floating by. As a shepherd, that is my passion. You know, people say, well, you don't have an altar call. I do when it's appropriate. But don't ever think I don't get up here and preach for change. I'm always preaching for you to make a decision. And the decision is this simple. Your loyalty to God, your loyalty to Christ, your loyalty to the gospel, your loyalty to the truth. How important is this? Well, I found a definition that you're not going to like. Okay? And if you have a red letter Bible, then you'll know that's even worse because it's red letter. Jesus defines... Spiritual loyalty. Okay? You've all heard it before, but I don't think you've ever looked at it as, what is my devotion? Okay? It comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Think about the Gospel that is preached today in the United States, here in Castle Rock. How does it fit what you will hear in the church today when Jesus says, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow, that's sort of like a different gospel, isn't it? I thought it was grace, peace, love, and tranquility. Okay, then he wants to define for you what the sword is for. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. Jesus came in the power and authority of God to cut family relations if necessary. To sever family relations if necessary. That's devotion. You ever thought about that? Look what else it says. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Hmm. Spiritual loyalty means loving him more than your own family. That's devotion. Now, this is Jesus' definition Of loyalty, devotion. The face of your enemies will be your own household. Verse 38, because we know this part. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. We know that part. We know that part. To the point of taking up your cross, you're not worthy. That's simple. Are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? 
Or are you more devoted to your family? What would you do if your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ cost you your family? What if it was late set before you? What are you going to do? Okay. See, that's devotion. He goes on. I mean, he wants to make sure you don't miss this. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who lost his life for my sake will find it. What? That is the commitment of a loyal servant. And let's be realistic. Is that not the ultimate level? I read to you last week. My philosophy of ministry. To present every man complete in Christ. To present every single one of you absolutely devoted, committed, loyal to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Have you ever thought about that? Family life. We have devotions to our families, do we not? Do they take the place of Jesus Christ? You know what is amazing is every single Christian is being called to this. This is the standard. And you know what was killing Paul? The Corinthians had signs of disloyalty. They had defected. They had disloyalty to God. They had disloyalty to Christ. They had disloyalty to the gospel. They had disloyalty to truth. They had been deceived. They had been seduced. They were in a spiritual war with an enemy who wants you and I to lose our commitment to Christ. The false had come in behind the Apostle Paul in Corinth and they had seduced the flesh of the Corinthians. Remember when Baal told Balaam to co-corrupt the Jews? Huh? Tell him of another God. And he says, I can't do that because if I do that, the true God will strike me dead. Okay, I mean, we can always, you know, get on Balaam and say, well, he was a knucklehead. But do you know what he went and did? He seduced him into impurity. In the name of God. Why? They became Disloyal to truth. They became disloyal to God. They had become disloyal to Christ. The false had seduced the Corinthians. And now they were becoming anti-Paul. All they had to do was sow a seed of doubt. Just a seed of distrust. And as soon as that seed of doubt hit the ground, they could step in. And the Corinthians had opened the door, had given the pulpit to them to continue to nurture the doubt. That is why this letter was written. Why? He was fearful that many were being seduced away. We see four ways in this text out of 2 Corinthians, four ways in six verses. One, God is a jealous God. It literally means the jealousy of God, the jealousy of God. I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God. Why? I, you should have no other before you. Do you understand what you seduces you today? Do you understand what you will put commitment to above God? I mean, the Bible calls it idolatry. But we wouldn't say, oh, I'm not an idol. Or I, don't, I don't do that. I don't have little statues in my house. That's not idolatry. Although you can do that. Do you have a loyalty to Christ? Why? Because you're in a covenant with Christ. You have been betrothed to Christ. Verse 3 says, I am afraid. I am afraid that you have been deceived, that you have been seduced. Like verse 4. Because you have embraced another, another Jesus, another message. And you know what? You bear it. 
It doesn't bother you. You are vulnerable, 28 says, because, and 11.28 of 2 Corinthians, because that was his daily concerns for the church. That was his fear. Have you ever thought about it? I want you to think about it yourself. How easily is your devotion swayed? Now listen, I'll be real careful about this. I don't want you to sit there and say, well, my wife is just a piece of cake. You just go over here. I want you to look at your devotion, your loyalty to the things of Christ. How loyal are you? Or how, let me try it this way. How easy is it for you to compromise? Because I watch people compromise and they call it the name of grace. Paul feared that the Corinthians, even though there had been a restoration in their relationship, they were vulnerable. That is this fear and this heart of defection, this disloyalty of this church. He was concerned. This is the heart of an apostle. This is the heart of a shepherd. This is the heart of an overseer is the loyalty of the people. You don't think it is important. There are seven letters to seven churches and revelations. Okay. Two of the churches. Of the seven. Had proved themselves loyal. Two. Of the seven. You need to understand something. Those are Jesus' letters to those churches. Jesus isn't mistaken that. Oh I thought that was a church. No he knew they were a church. But he had watched the disloyalty. Creep in. Why? People are easily seduced. People are easily deceived. I, I have dealt with it over and over and over again. How easily we are deceived. How many wise men were there? Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wasn't it? Right? Where two or more gathered in my name, I am there. That's prayer. No, it ain't. It's church discipline. See what I mean? Listen, I got news for you. If the Bible's true, if you're there and you're the only person on the planet, he's there. Okay? It's almost like, well, I ain't doing nothing unless you can get another one to go with you. That ain't what that's about. History proves that the seducers easily and very often without any problem whatsoever can take over a church. Wherever Christianity stands. Now, I want you to hear this. Wherever Christianity stands, seducers are near. They're not in the false churches. They don't have to be. I want the one who has a loyalty to God to become disloyal. I want the one who has a loyalty to Christ to become disloyal. I want the one loyal to the gospel to become disloyal. I want the one who has loyalty to the truth to be disloyal. That's what the seducers want. That is the battle that you and I are in. And that is in your head. They will follow the doctrine of demons and seducing spirits. Okay? Now then, the rabbit that I got off on, I'm afraid, as Satan, the serpent in his craftiness, seduced Eve. Okay? I thought, now that's a fascinating illustration for the Apostle Paul. The serpent, Revelations 12, 9 and Revelations 22, is Satan. Okay? I'm afraid you have been deceived as Eve was deceived. The serpent, remember I told you the false come in. Okay? The false aren't called. They just come in. The false came in behind him, right? What happened in the garden? Was Satan called for? No, he came in to the garden. 
A verse that you guys ought to really spend some time on, and I'm not trying to offend anybody. If you don't like it, then don't spend any time on it. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. The woman was deceived. You know what it says about Adam? He wasn't. Keep that in mind. He wasn't. Why does God not allow a woman to teach in an authority in the church? Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Okay? I don't believe Eve thought she was sinning. Why? She was deceived. She was deceived. She wasn't thinking that she was rebelling against God. Okay? Listen, you got to understand something. When you read the letter to the Romans, okay? How did sin come in? By one? Hmm. Know what it doesn't say? Not by one woman. Why? She was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. Listen, deception. Let me share something with you. Deception. If you probably have, may not have thought about it, maybe you do. Deception thinks it's being given the right information. Okay? But let me tell you something. That is the characteristics of the false. They want you to believe. They're giving you the right information. They want to help clarify your misunderstanding. Let me tell you something. I asked a Mormon one time, how are you saved? And it stunned me when I heard the answer. Faith by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ as the sole offering for your sins. What does that sound like? Right? But you know what? I'm smart enough to say, I have another question. Who's Jesus? You know what they tell you? God's spirit child. You know what that makes him? Created. Okay? So that would be the part that Paul says, if they speak of another Jesus. All right? You know what's really bizarre? Ask a JW, Jehovah's Witness. They'll tell you the same thing. Ask a, a Catholic. They'll tell you the same thing. It will sound exactly what yours, but they have a different Jesus, a different gospel. Why? Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, they have speculations and lofty ideas that are raised up against the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now then, I want to take you and show you something. And if you already know that, then act like you're surprised and you didn't know it. If you don't know it, then act like you're surprised anyway. I want you to go with me to the, the beginning. Genesis 3. Verse 1 is where we will begin. If the Apostle Paul uses this phraseology that I'm afraid you are deceived as Eve, then we need to look at what happened. Because you know what? Our enemy hasn't changed his plans. He hasn't changed his tactics. He hasn't changed anything about what he does. Look what it says. The serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field. Okay? The spirit of Satan, that invisible fallen angel, is in a snake. Okay? And he could speak through that snake. All right? He was craftier than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said. Stop right there. He comes to the woman. And the only thing I have to ask of myself is, Where is her protector? Where is the one has leadership over her? 
Why did he leave her alone? Okay, that is typical of someone who's trying to seduce. I'll take this one over here and confide in him because I want to help you. And he starts it off with the very single question that has been asked an innumerable number of times throughout the life of creation. Has God said? And yet when we ask somebody how many wise men there are, they'll tell us. And then some of them can even come up with a name. All right, and you say, well, it's not really that big a deal. Really? Has God said? Has God said? You know what is amazing about it? Her response, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. What is he getting at? I want you to start questioning what you think you know. Okay? Anybody ever fallen into that? Somebody throws something at you and you're like, well, oh, I never thought of it that way. Perhaps it wasn't written that way. That's why I teach in the manner that I teach in. I stay in the context and the theme of what the book was written. And you know what? It doesn't lead you wrong. See, the false want to bring it up as if it's unclear. And immediately, if you take the average Christian today, they're immediately going to shift into, well, I think so. Yes, he had clearly said it. It was indeed what he said. And it was definitely emphatic. But the first thing that they will do, the false, the people who are of the father of lies. I want to cast doubt on truth. Just a little. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just a little. This is what all the false do. They follow their father. Okay? Because when you look at it, The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. Now, let me ask you something. How thick do you think Eve's Bible was? And she didn't get that one right? You ever thought about it? Mine's got way more pages than that. And there's times I scratch my head. I don't know. You don't really mean God said something you can't eat. Is, is, and there's something in the garden that you can't eat? Why? I put a doubt in it. Has he said? Understand there's nothing in the garden that is but perfect. And yet, one you can't eat? Why would there be something prohibited in the perfect garden? Listen, at the time that this is going on, you've got to be understanding there is no wrong. Wrong has not happened. How can one do wrong when there is no wrong? We must understand what God is doing. Or perhaps you misunderstood what he said. Perhaps it's just a misunderstanding. Maybe you just didn't get all of the information. God's perfect creation and you can't eat something in his perfect creation. You've got to be misunderstanding this. But you know what? Eve thought she had it right. Now, 
she even says, I can't touch of it. Okay, now I don't know whether Adam told her she can't touch it. Or whether she just added that because I want to tell you how good I am with the Bible. I don't know. I don't know. The serpent said to the woman, you shall, you surely will not die. Look what she has said. If that fruit in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it or touch it or you will die. Now you're asking yourself a question. What is death at this time? They have no concept of death. Okay? Surely God is so good and gracious, He gave you all of this to eat, and, and if you should eat it? Really? And really die? Die? What do you mean die? Perhaps, Eve, you're confused with the truth. But don't worry, Eve. I'll help you get to the truth. How many haven't understood God correctly? Think about that. How many are gleefully traveling along this very day with a complete misunderstanding of God? How many in the body of Christ in churches across the globe have created God in their own image? So that they can handle him. But don't worry, there's always someone there. Gracious enough to help you. God knows in the day that you eat, you shall what? The day you eat, your eyes will be open and what will happen? Be like God. He knew if he would see... Here's what the serpent's dealing with. He knew she would be thrown out of paradise if she ate of it. That was his goal. Why? Why do I say that? How does he know that? Well, let me ask you a question. What had happened to him? When he wanted to exalt himself and know as God knows, what happened? And he wanted her kicked out of paradise too. See, Eve's viewpoint is she doesn't understand the motive of the serpent. See, I understand the motive of the false today. They want to stop your loyalty, your devotion, your commitment. They want to stop it to the commitment to God, your loyalty to Christ, your loyalty to the gospel, and your loyalty to truth. Eve doesn't understand the motive of the serpent. He is trying to rip her soul from the hand of God. Okay? And then he uses one of our appetites. Did you know we have appetites? Did you know that? We have three appetites. We have an appetite for the physical. We have an appetite for the emotional. And we have an appetite for the intellectual. Okay? And they're never, never, never are they satisfied. What do you see right here? You would be like God. This is what I call a first Gnostic. You'll be like God. You will have elevated knowledge. You'll have super knowledge. I thought I understood. But now, wow. I can really, really understand. Let me share with you something else. She had no concept of disobedience. But if I eat of this fruit, I will be able to grasp the knowledge that God has. Now I can grasp it. Now I can know what die means. I don't know that right now. But I will. Maybe I just didn't really understand. 
But now I could understand like God understands. Let me tell you something. What is the goal of a Christian? To be Christ-like. To be Christ-like. So if they roll this fruit out to you, what's your response? I will know as God knows. That's awesome. I'll be like Christ-like. See how easy it is to fall for it? If you were told this, what would you do? Eat of that fruit and you will be like God. And all it will do is get you kicked out of paradise. Listen, from Eve's standpoint, it sounded perfect. Let me tell you something. When the false come in and they say, has God said? Or let me show you what that really means. Okay, I want you to understand this. It always sounds perfect. Okay? And you know what? It's always that way. It's always that way. The false come and they want to share the true knowledge. I want to share with you the deeper knowledge. This will lift you up and you will be more godly. You will be more like God. You will be closer to God if you do these things and understand what I'm saying. It's what the false always do, people. I have true knowledge and you will be happy and I'll lift you up and we'll all go skippity-doo-dah. Isn't that the same thing? Let me tell you, because see... There ain't nobody cares for you like I care for you. And I'll give you insights that you ain't never thought about. That's what the false do. What happens? You will be like God knowing good from evil. Hallelujah. Okay. Now I want to show you something here. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. What did I tell you he had three appetites for? The physical, the emotional, and intellectual. Just did it right there. She looked at it. She saw it was good for food. It was fun to look at. Okay? And it's going to make me wise. Okay? She checked out the tree. And you know what? Tell me. Right now. Why would God stop you from having good food, looking at pleasant things, and being wise? Why would God think that was disobedience? See how slick it is? But it goes back to a simple statement. Has God said? Always elevated information. New information. You will feel it. We have the secrets that people don't understand. Numerology is back. I'm sitting there going, numerology? God, if we've got to have math to get into heaven, I'm in trouble. Okay? And, and we got all the new guys. Remember? 2,000, world's in, and Jesus is going to catch us up. We're going to have a big party. Well, maybe it's 2001. Well, I think it's going to be 2010. Well, probably 12. I don't know, 14, 17, 18, 22. I don't know. You know, Jesus said he didn't know when he was returning. Okay? That's good enough for me. But when he does return, there will be no doubt. Because, you know, we got a bunch of them running around. They have the real truth. You don't believe I don't have real truth? Look how many people are in my congregation. That's real truth, does that? Okay? Or real shiny things. Or real loud things. Or real intellectual things. 
You know, because God told me. I know three pastors right now that in the last few years have come into Castle Rock because God told me to come here. Okay, and they're all gone now. So what was that? What caused that? God told you, then why aren't you still here? How many have new information that will make you wise? New creativity. This information that I have will exalt you in your walk. You will be closer. You will be wiser. You will be a greater asset to God. We may even know what Eve knew. Okay, now I want to show you something. She saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she ate. Now, the next part of this verse, I'll give you a quote that I got. Okay, I, I, I've got three guys that I've been reading and I don't remember which one of them said it. But I'll give you this quote. All right, because I want you to hear this quote. Quote. The next part of this verse is the greatest commentary on the stupidity of man, unquote. Okay, look what it says. She gave also to her husband with uh, to her husband with her and what? You know, what's really cool about that. How much seduction had to go in there? How much deceit had to go in there? How much advertising had to go in there? How much persuasion had to go in there? I mean, she just handed to him, he ate. But he knew. He gave it to her husband and he ate. He didn't even have to be talked into it. See what I'm saying? Things have not changed much. There was no deception, no anything. I've heard a lot of people try to say, well, why did he eat? And he was so gracious that she had fallen and he wanted to fall with her or whatever. You know, that sounds really cool. I'm happy for you. Um, I'm a little more onto the human nature side of it. Okay. I've been around a few years. Okay. Here's why I believe he ate. There's only one woman in the world. You understand that? One woman. It's not like there's a market. Okay, he can't go to the new contemporary worship and to the, you know, he's got a, he's got one woman and he wanted her. Okay. Now listen, we all know emphatically that women have no power to seduce men, right? Let me tell you something. Women can seduce a man without a word. And that ain't changed. And the reason he ate of that, he wanted her. Why? Well, it wasn't like he had a lot of pickings. Paul saw this picture happening in Corinth. Let me tell you something. It happens all the time. All the time. You know what? Even around here. And what I mean around here, in this congregation. What is it that seduces you against your loyalty to God, your loyalty to Christ, your loyalty to the gospel, your loyalty to truth? Paul tells us that the serpent used his craftiness to deceive Eve. You know what I call that today? Creativity. You need to be more creative in your ministry. No, I am loyal to the truth. I'm loyal to the gospel. I'm loyal to Christ. I'm loyal to God. I don't need craftiness. Why? Because it leads the minds astray. The battle is for the thinking processes. The battle is for the mind. The battle is for the thoughts and the emotions that come from the mind. Deceived, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Your minds will be led astray. You know what's amazing? 
instantaneously that they ate of that fruit, their minds were led astray. You know why I say that? They died instantaneously. Spiritually. Okay? They were spiritually dead as soon as they partook of the fruit. Why do I say that? (laughs) They went and hid from God? (laughs) That's brilliant. Oh, wait. I know people trying to do that now. Okay? So they had death defined for them. The serpent used his craftiness, his creativity, whatever you want to call it, and he led their minds astray. And you know what happens when you lead the mind astray? You confuse the thoughts. The thinking processes get jumbled up. Ask yourself a question. Is your life hectic right now? Because you know I'm going to ask you why. Because if I have the loyalty to these four, you'll be surprised how much clarity there is. It ain't saying ain't a lot of things going on. Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. False teachers get into your head and they confuse your thinking. It's the single greatest problem that exists in the church. I was asked this. I have been, I've seen other men who have been asked this. And I, it was so fascinating that we all had the same conclusion. What is the greatest single problem that exists in the body of Christ today? Lack of discernment. Okay. I know many pastors right now who will look me straight in the eye and tell me that doctrine is boring. And it takes too much talking and too much working. You need to be more involved on a personal relationship with your people so you know their wants and their needs. Brothers and sisters, your greatest single need right now is doctrine. Because let me tell you something. Doctrine is truth, and truth is how we discern. If you don't have truth, you can't discern. And if you can't discern, you will be seduced. And you will wake up someplace in a place you never dreamed of being. And you will realize that you were been disloyal to God and disloyal to Christ and disloyal to the gospel and disloyal to truth. If seduced, you are unfaithful to the one you have been betrothed to. I am the way, truth. Where do I get truth? Doctrine. My job as an overseer, as a shepherd, is to protect you from that. I fear that the minds would be led astray. Minds led astray. Chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Smashing fortresses. And then he defines what a fortress is. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Spiritual warfare is destroying these ideologies, these ideas, these concepts, these anti-God philosophies, Satan's lies, doctrine of demons that are raised up against God, and we are here to smash them. We are here to be clear in our thinking. We are to avoid confusion. We are say, thus saith the Lord. And we take every thought captive. It's an ideological battle. Listen, spiritual warfare is not magic. It is not mysticism. It is not mystical. It is not going out and grabbing an angel by his hair and flipping him over your wing or whatever you're going to do. It's seducing spirits that are trying to pervert and corrupt your thoughts. That's all it is. Lust of the eyes... Lust of the flesh, pride of life. You will be as God. There ain't no pride in that now, is there? Dealing with the eternal souls of men and women means that we must be battling for their minds. 
you see how the seduction works with Eve. Let me tell you something. It ain't changed. The tragedy that exists today is very people know that God has said. When I listen to things that are spouted today in the name of Christianity, I realize what easy targets the church is. Why? If they take a stand in Christianity, the truth of the word, they know that the seducing spirits are going to be there. Paul understood that even though he had confronted these people and they had repented and the relationship had been restored with the Apostle Paul, those seducers were still in the corners. And you and I need to be aware of that too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul again. Father, I thank you that you have given us your spirit to help strengthen us for the task that is hand. May each of us run so that we are not entangled in the things of this world and rejoice at the amazing stuff that you are doing. Father, may we be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. Father, I, I, I pray for every man, woman, and child here today. And Father, they understand that seduction is easy and that the deception is even easier. Father, may we become as the Bereans, searching the scriptures to see that it is true. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints and your precious bride, your church. And Father, may our loyalty to you grow as we continue to look at your holy book. In Christ's name, amen.